This is the Matt Townsend Show. What creates higher trust for you and the people around you? Your guide on the side. And a lot of us end up spending our entire life searching for what we expect instead of what has actually been given to us. Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. On this show, we talk a lot about relationships, and in particular, marriage. And today is another one of those days. But why is it that we talk so much about marriage? Because the world is falling apart and relationships are doomed to fail? I don't think so. I think it's quite the opposite. Because marriage is the foundation of society and of our world. And is it too bold to say that strengthening marriage is the first building block to strengthening a lot of the rest of the world's problems? I think it could be the case. And marriage is a symbol of hope and happiness. So I think it's important to just kind of get a reminder of the basics on a regular basis and to reignite our motivations to be better spouses. And today I want to do just that. We're not going to go into anything deep or complicated, but I just wanted to run through some of the basics of keeping our marriages happy and healthy. So today we're going to listen to an interview with Russell Irving about how to not complicate marriage advice. He's going to lay down some solutions in a very simple, matter-of-fact, condensed way. He says that sometimes people are afraid to try the obvious answer to their marriage problems when those might just be the solutions. So let's hear what some of those obvious answers might be. There's a lot of books out there on marriage, right, from a lot of experts. Everybody seems to have been – that's married seems to think they're an expert in it. Now, you've been married 27 years, but your marriage seems – your marriage book seems to be different than most of the rest. Yeah, it is. Um, Added to my my repertoire of careers over the past past decades, Matt – um, is that I've done a number of classes, workshops um, on relationships, and have studied the, the area extensively. And quite honestly, I decided to write the book because I was watching a talk show one day where a relationship pundit, one of the many that you referenced, yeah. um, pretended that every issue in the marriage was the fault of the wife. <laughs> and earlier that day, I heard another pundit say everything was the fault of the husband, both of which I think we both can agree is totally wrong. Yeah. Nothing is ever just one-sided. Right, exactly. And the other thing is, I noticed in reading relationship books that so many of them either used 13-syllable words that no one could understand, <laughs> or, or they were so full of, of narrative that by the time you got through with the section, you, you you forgot what the point was. Yeah, what was the, the yeah? What were we make. trying to learn here exactly? So you've and tried I to simplify that, it. Well, tried to simplify it, and we live in a Twitter society in a in a CNN headline news world. And I said to myself, when when I was working with clients and doing classes, if I were to boil down to an absolute essence what it was that I was trying to get across to this person, could I do it in one to three sentences? And found that I could do. 500-plus pieces of such things. So you've taken all the wisdom and boiled it down to one to three sentences, which, which, you know, honestly, is probably so healthy because you get to the essence, the truest form of the the point, right? Absolutely. And and the other thing is I also learned from all my many careers and, and, and life experiences, Matt, that, you know, 
the, the real answer to most problems in life is truly the obvious answer. The, the, the cliche that we tend to dismiss, thinking that it probably can't work because it's, it's so obvious, or, or we are free to try the obvious answer because if it doesn't work, then, then maybe we're a bigger loser than we thought we were. <laughs> that's right. I think that's, that's a funny way to look at it because it does seem like we think it's – relationships are very complex, but the answers, it seems, like you're saying, they're just – it's simple. And the other thing that I think is that simplicity is already inside of us. It's kind of like we already know this, right? Absolutely. We just and, don't do it, I guess. And, and that's one of the beauties because the book does not pretend that there's a magic bullet because there is none. It knows that every couple is not only different at any one point in time, but as time goes, what might work or apply today might not six months from now, but something else will. So I know that when people read the book, and that's been a lot of the feedback, Matt, is people know instinctively when they read one of these 500-plus pieces, they know when it will apply to their current situation. Mm. See, I think that's powerful, and it's probably going to help us cut through this today. Um, what we're going to do on the show is, in fact, I guess I'd love you to start introducing a few of your ideas right now. We have a couple more minutes, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back. But when we come back, I really want to get in depth because, you know, people are going to be going to their families. They're going to be dealing maybe with in-laws and some of the tensions that come because of in-laws. I'd love to have some advice around that, um, as well as just, you know— possibly addiction issues and some other things. So what, like, if you think of your book with your 500 pieces of advice, are there any that just are top of mind that just stand out for you? Well, here's one. Do not confuse not agreeing with not listening. Hmm. I, I mean, so many times I would hear a spouse say, she never listens to me. And <laughs> yeah. what he's really meaning to say is, she, she heard me, but she just doesn't agree. Well, the two are very different things. Right. And you sometimes know? I guess we do the opposite. We sometimes agree, or we sometimes they might be nice and cordially understanding you, and we might interpret that as agreeing as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great you know, little piece of advice. Or ignoring a spouse is probably the worst thing that you could do to punish them. So if you really want to get back at your spouse, totally ignore them because that will hurt more than anything else <laughs> that you could possibly do. Yeah, short of killing them, you know. Yeah. But in all honesty, they may love you ignoring them. Well, but after a while, it's not loving anymore. Because if someone is verbally or otherwise, you know, negative towards you, then you can relate to that and you can try and work on it. If right. they totally ignore you, what can you do about it? Uh-huh. But it's what we do, isn't it? Pain. Yeah, and that's where we go. We think that, I guess, we think being punitive like that is somehow going to help. Absolutely. Or calling the money that you give your spouse for their personal spending and allowance is demeaning and implies that they are a child in your relationship. And I have to tell you, Matt, I did a workshop a while back, and this very astute, very successful business owner was dragged in there by his wife. And at the end, he said, of everything we talked about in the class, he said, that struck home because he said, I looked at my wife's face when you said that. And she winced, and he said, I do that all the time mm. to her, and it never dawned on me that it bothers her. Powerful. 
See, it's it is. I, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna get into this. I love this idea, Russell. We're gonna take a break. We're talking to Russell Irving, who um, is the uh, the founder and author of a book that is called "Improve Your Marriage: Don't Overlook the Obvious." You can also go to www.dontoverlooktheobvious.com and check out his website. He's got some great stuff there. We'll be back with more um, from Russell Irving on how to improve your marriage and not overlook the obvious. This is the Matt Townsend Show on B. You radio. Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We are learning some simple marriage tips from our guest Russell Irving today. In the last segment, he gave us a few things we should keep in mind when we are in a disagreement with our spouse. He said not to confuse your spouse not agreeing with you with them not listening to you. Just because you say something doesn't mean your spouse has to do that thing or they have to agree with that thing or they have to live under that standard. He also said that the solution to solving a fight is not to ignore your partner because then you just shut off all the pathways of communication and problem solving together and progressing and learning from your disagreements. And another piece of advice he gave that I thought was pretty good was not to refer to the spending money you give your spouse as allowance because it creates this dynamic where you're trying to control or assert dominance over your spouse and you're treating them like a child when they should be your equal. Well, we have just scratched the surface of the trove of advice Dr. Irving has for us. So let's continue with this interview and hear what he has to say about how to deal with your extended family and in-laws this upcoming holiday season. What? Okay, so here we're sitting, you know, on the eve or near Thanksgiving, and a lot of us are going to be going to deal with our income, I mean, our in-laws in a way that maybe we may not always love. So as as a couple is sitting there preparing to go to dinner with their in-laws, what what should we be thinking? What advice do you give us if, you know, we've got a long weekend with family we don't necessarily want to be with? Well, there's two very two very different aspects that I say. One is is the wife, let's say, who complains that her mother-in-law is meddling, always trying to tell her how to raise the kids and clean the house and cook meals. And I I say to that person, but you know what? Do you think they're really trying to be obnoxious and meddling or just helpful? Because when you look at it, they raised your husband, (laughs) and they couldn't have done such a bad job because you married him. So maybe they have some helpful (laughs) advice to give you after all, and maybe you need to be less defensive. That's great Um, advice, actually. Unless unless they don't like their husband either. Well, well, here's the other part. (laughs) There are some in-laws that are really just obnoxious, mean, and always mistreat the spouse that married their child. In which case, I suggest that the child of those horrible in-laws, you know, give an ultimatum to their parents and say, look, you may not like my husband or wife. They are my husband and wife. And if you don't show them respect, then I guess since my first loyalty is to them now, from the Bible, you know, you leave your parents yeah. and you cleave to your spouse, then I guess we need to spend much less time and maybe I'll email you a Thanksgiving dinner. How's that? Interesting. So really take a stand in a way. Like I've got to, I'm, I'm cleaving unto my partner. I, if you can't love him, then maybe I'll just mail in my turkey dinner. Well, it's not saying they have to love him, but they have to treat them with respect. There's a difference. Yeah. 
You know, not saying that they have to like them even, but you know, we treat a lot of people we don't like, Matt, with respect. Yeah. So your 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 child's spouse deserves no less. Well, it's so true, and it's in a way their their problem is probably not even with the the spouse. I mean, this is about them, right? This is about a mother in law that's probably sad that she's lost something. Uh, And and so if we start becoming belligerent and mean and horrible to our in-laws, then I guess in the end, we are part of the problem. Yeah. No question. We don't need to be doing that. Um, So in-laws are a big deal. You've been married 27 years, right? Actually 28 now. 28, two kids, two sons. Is that right? Absolutely. How much of this did you just learn by sticking it out 27 years and having a healthy marriage. Is that where you got this? Or was did this come more from your studies, from your workshops, the classes you've put together? How did you learn this? From, it came from all of the things that you just mentioned, Matt. It truly did. I have a wonderful wife, but have we had our share of issues and problems? Of course, every couple has. Yeah. But I've combined that and added things from my workshops and my research. And I also one of those people who's a people observer. I observe people. I kind of eavesdrop on conversations in restaurants or in store checkout lines or from coworkers. And, and so it, it's gleaned from all of that. It's powerful. And I, I really think you have to have struggles in a marriage. I think it's inherent. It's, I think it's like with everything else. We've got to struggle a little bit. And in fact, even some of the latest research shows that even the healthiest couples are, the, are having issues. It's just they don't necessarily let the issues tear them apart. Well, and, the, and one of the things I knew up front in, in a workshop is if, if, if a couple said to me, Matt, we never argue, we really don't have any problems, then I know up front they're liars. <laughs> you liar! Well, but, truly. Yeah. Every marriage, every couple has issues. Now, whether or not they confront them and deal with them is a whole different story, as you know. Totally. But when they say that there aren't any, I know they're lying. Love that. That's so true. I used to, I say that same thing, and then I started because you know there's always there's always the you know eighty year old ninety year old people that said we never fought a day in our life, and then you're like oh cute well you still made it uh, but you're a liar, you know right. you still you and still want to question kid. it. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. So as as we are together and one of the goals i guess or things that happens in a relationship is it seems like we're always trying to make our partner kind of toe the line and be more like us and a lot of spouses are out there complaining that they have to nag their partner to get them to do something do you have any tips for those people that are tired of maybe having to nag to create a change my bottom line is Stop the nagging because if it hasn't worked in a year, it's never going to work. It's the guy who says, my wife never shuts the light off and she leaves the room. And I say, you know what? If you've nagged about it for five years of marriage, has it done anything but ruin the evening that you had ahead of you or the day you had ahead of you? Well, no, but (laughs) for the sake of a few pennies, is it worth doing that? Because bottom line is, whatever their reason, good, bad, or indifferent, it's not going to change so stop the nagging unless it's something about something earth-shattering and, and, and life, life-altering. It seems like you kind of you have a theme that goes over and over, Russell, that's, that's this idea that it's not working, right? And if it doesn't work, then just don't do it anymore. Why do you think it is as humans that we keep doing things that don't work? Because we're comfortable with what we want the world and our partner to be like. It's, it's the... Um, woman who says, or the husband who says, you know what, my wife can't stand my friends, 
and it drives me crazy, and we have a miserable time when I drag her along with us. And I say to him, how many best friends do you have? Uh, two. In your whole life, yeah. So why do you think your wife should suddenly love your <laughs> best friend that it took you decades to, to make, and, and even more so, you want her to be best friends with that guy's wife? Does that make any sense? But in their mind, they want the world to be a certain way, and they expect this spouse to fit their ideas, to fit their mold. Yeah, and it's kind of like they're, they're, will, they're not willing to adjust themselves, but they will wholeheartedly adjust the spouse. Or try to. Or try to, huh? Well, what are you, okay, so good. That, that's a, where does it move to controlling, though, I guess, Russell? Because, I mean, it's one thing when they're just kind of constantly suggesting something. But what, what do you do or how do you suggest we handle somebody that are a partner when they start to be really controlling of us? Well, the first thing I ask people is step back and, and examine the fact of whether or not your spouse is truly controlling. Or do they, are they just a strong-minded, strong-willed person, and if you said, I don't want to do this, or I don't like it, then they're open to discussion. That's not a controlling person. If they're truly controlling, realize that you yourself always have some amount of control. You can get up, you can leave the situation, you can insist no. You always have an amount of control in every situation. You may not want to exercise it. You may not like some of the ramifications of it, in which case if they say, then we're divorcing you. But you always have control as to how you handle a controlling, a truly controlling spouse. Yeah, it seems like we, we, we sometimes pick up some of these words from uh, psychotherapists or just, I guess, from the world, like he's so controlling or he's such a narcissist. Um, but regardless, I guess you're saying we still have a say in how we respond to these people that are influencing us. We don't have to be mad. We don't have to be, we don't have to be hate-filled. We don't have to control them because they're controlling us. We always have a say. You always have a say in every situation. Now, like I said, you may not like the choices at yeah. the moment, but you always have choices. And again, most people, and you reference that, hear the psychobabble, Matt, and they assume and use these words like controlling, or as you said, narcissistic, when that's really not what your spouse is. Right. Yeah, it seems like we choose the label. The label seems easier, apparently, than just accepting somebody or accepting oh, that you have agency and choice. But when you use those labels, like to your parents, now the in-laws are really out to get your spouse because, hey, you're controlling my little baby, my That's little right. princess. Well, they're really not. They may just have a strong sense of, of self and purpose, which is very different. Totally. Totally. Good stuff. And we're going to take a break from Russell Irving. We'll be back and uh, wrap up this segment with Russ and give you more tools and ideas, more solutions to all the questions you might have of how to make your marriage how to keep it simple and not complicate your life. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thanksgiving dinner is coming up next week, and you might have to deal with some in-laws or some family members that you're not too excited about seeing again. So in this last part of the interview, Dr. Irving taught us 
what things we can do to work through some of those family issues this holiday season. One thing he said was to stick by your spouse's side. Stand up for them if your family isn't treating them well. Assert boundaries and standards of respect and give your in-laws the benefit of the doubt. Don't go in with a defensive wall, but try to see your in-laws as the people who raised the person you fell in love with. But in-laws and holiday rituals are not the only thing that can throw a cog into a marriage. What about things that are part of our daily lives, like Facebook or technology? In this next part of the interview, Dr. Irving addresses the real messages behind your spouse's technology and Facebook usage. One of the things, and we've done some shows on this even recently, is about Facebook and the impact that Facebook has on relationships. So there's a lot of these younger families that are, you know, affairs are coming from Facebook or people are becoming addicted to technology and things like that. What what advice do you have for these couples and these younger, or not even younger, but any couple about Facebook and other high-tech outlets? Well, whether it's, it's Facebook or, you know, LinkedIn or Google+, Plus, I mean, they're all well and good, but first of all, you have to keep in mind that these people are truly not your friends in 99% of the instances. <laughs> they're people that have agreed to, to listen to your, your rants, your raves, your, your positive things, quotes you want to send back and forth. They're truly not your friends. Your friend really is the person you're sharing, or should be, you're sharing your apartment or house mm-hmm. with. Um, the second thing is moderation, whether it's, it's being on the computer or being on your, your smartphone all the time. For instance, my policy in the house, when dinner time comes, phones are off. We don't answer them. Um, often the TV is off. Answering machine rings. You don't pick it up. It, it's, it's personal one-on-one time. Nothing is more offensive than when you're out with your spouse and all they're doing is watching the smartphone for scores or, mm-hmm. or tweets or whatever. Right. Well, and it's especially... It seems like one of the only things we can actually offer each other that is of any import on this earth is our time, is our attention, is our focus, and it, and it just seems like this: the Facebook, all of these inter, all of these interruptions end up stealing that thing that we offer or don't offer. Well, and and you know, I hear so frequently now, Matt, someone saying, you know, after after we're done with dinner and the kids are in bed. All my spouse wants to do is be on Facebook or on chat groups or playing video games, Mm -hmm. and they don't spend time with me. And I say to them, you know what? Here's the reality about human nature. We tend to spend our free time doing what gives us the most pleasure. So if your husband or wife isn't spending their free time with you, that means you're not as enjoyable to be around as a vague body or an icon (laughs) or avatar online. Oh, yeah. See, but that, those are fighting words. Those are, Russell, you're going to start a fight by bringing that up. I do. But you know <laughs> what? But you also hear later on from those who try to adjust that, their moods, their actions, and, and what they do to make themselves more appealing to their spouse again, I hear thank you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, we don't like change, but, you know, along the way, especially after kids, you stop being as, as dating and romantic and as fun and, and whatever as you were beforehand. So, of course, your spouse isn't going to want to spend time with you. You're not fun anymore. It's so true. And, and a lot of that, when we were first dating and in love, we, were, we, we had a lot more energy. I think this is all the chemistry that used to course through our body. But 
it, it seems like eventually we just kind of we get comfortable with each other where we settle in and we no longer feel like, I guess, a need to compete for our partner's attention or to even keep stirring the pot. You're right, but if you don't, then that's why couples drift apart. And then when you have an empty nest, you have to see an incred- incredible increase in the number of divorces because they no longer have anything that bonds them together. The relationship totally drifted out to say. That's right. And, and it's, it's very common, and sadly, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it, it has to just be recognized that if you want your partner to put the phone away, then you need to be more engaging, more inviting, more... Yeah. I guess caring. There's also some people that, um, I mean, that that's kind of the age-old argument. And you know, this is a family show, so we always treat it carefully. But it's also this argument about intimacy and our lack of intimacy, our lack of touching. All of that seems to fall into the same realm. So maybe they're choosing uh, they're choosing their iPhone and all the games on that to be stimulated versus just being close to you. And and, I, and I'm going to be, you don't have to worry about any seven-second delay in what I'm going to say, <laughs> okay? Yeah. But I, I say to the spouse who no longer wants to be sexual or physically intimate with, with, their, with their partner in life, I say, you know what? People don't marry their best friend who's also their platonic friend. You marry someone who you're sexually and physically attracted to. And while you may not be in the mood much anymore by shutting them out it really is not fair to me there's not a major difference in some ways between a spouse who has an adulterous affair and a spouse who shuts off their husband or wife completely from intimacy Mm. both i believe are breaking the marital vows thank you right and and there i think we're also we're damaging a part of the marriage i mean i think we don't quite understand what intimacy does to the marriage. I mean, it's it really is a bonding thing. It's it's a truly chemically bonding thing that actually chemically makes us closer together. And yeah, I, I th- we overlook that, don't we? Absolutely. You know, we have no problems believing that babies need to be touched and held, but, you know, we don't lose that as we go into adulthood. Right. So even if it is just cuddling or a massage or a neck rub, that's vital in a marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think a good time for that seems to be uh, when you are, I mean, I, I read a, a study that says 20% of couples aren't even sleeping together. They're, they're, yeah. they're sleeping in separate spaces or separate rooms, probably because of sleep apnea and restless leg and all of these other problems. But it seems like, you know, bedtime as a couple would be a really important time of the day. Absolutely. And, and it's not just for sex, it's for winding down, it's, it's for reading together and chit-chatting about what's going on. However, bedtime is the worst time to bring up an ultra-heavy decision <laughs> for discussion. Like at 11.30, because, that's a bad time? You think that's a bad you're, time, Russ? You're, you're burned out, you're exhausted, yeah. the odds are you're going to get short with one another, and then neither one of you is going to sleep till the next day is shot. That is the worst time to bring up anything major, anything heavy. Isn't that funny? And that's what my clients are always telling me. that It's the weirdest thing because that's when we always fight. Well, I'm yeah. like, well, sure you do. You're tired. You're exhausted. And then you're bringing up the biggest issue? But again, it's all these obvious things that we tend to overlook. And that's why I named the book what I did. That's good. Don't overlook the obvious. Tell us, um, tell us what are some healthier tips for arguing or handi- handling some of the conflict. 
Well, obviously, if you're in a, in short, feeling short-tempered and exhausted, you need to excuse yourself from it and say to your partner, we're going to get back to this later. The minute you start yelling, you've already lost the argument no matter what. So if you can't keep a, a, a mellow tone, don't even bother. You might as well just wave the, wave the white flag of surrender. Right. Um, also, realize that the success to the end of an argument depends on each person feeling that they can walk away with something. Now, it's a myth to say that you both walk away with a 50-50 agreement. That, that virtually never happens. Right. But you both need to walk away not, with some, not only with some pride and respect from your partner, but you both need to get something that you wanted out of the whole, of the whole deal. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that 50-50 thing, it's, you know, we, nobody wants 50% fidelity. I get that. So it's really 100 to 100. We're all giving everything we can. And it also seems like that role rotates. It seems like, um, the, you know, there might be a day when one of us gets ill and has to be cared for in a disproportionate way by the other. And, and, and I think we're, we're always looking like or feeling like these relationships should always be reciprocal, meaning I should always get something if I give something. But, but that's the myth of 50-50 sharing of housework. Yeah. No offense. It's never going to be 50-50. It should be both people do some based on their skill level and the amount of time that's given, but never 50-50. And you have so many people, primarily women who have been indoctrinated with your spouse has to help out 50% of the time. But, but I say to the wives, but you don't help out, mm-hmm. you know, always 50%. That's a myth. As long as you both are working together and using your own strengths, that's what matters more than a 50-50 number. Totally Don't agree. And, and there's actually been some research lately out about that, that um, couples that are expecting it to be 50-50 may actually be bigger scorekeepers. And, they, and they're not necessarily noticing all of the other things that are going on that, that are also disproportionate, like income, who's earning more income, or who's spending more time doing this, or who's taking care of the children more. And so... It's it's a it's kind of a slippery slope, isn't it? The minute we start expecting, um, expecting everything to be exactly equal, right? And it will never happen. So to go for it is just going to add more stress and problems in your marriage. Man, hmm. totally agree. What else do we need to know, Russell? As you sit back and and you think of this, uh, and you think of your twenty eight year marriage and two children, um, what? What else are we just flat out missing when it comes to marriage? We're missing the importance of rituals, and I don't mean religious ones. Um, I could best maybe sum it up by a fellow author of, of uh, Western history who said to me a while back, he said, I never realized till I was married how important rituals can be. And I said, explain. He said, every day he was growing up, his, his father would get up for, for us to go down make a pot of coffee and bring the, the coffee and the paper to his mother in the morning. And then after about a half hour, she would come down, make his lunch, give him a kiss, send him on his way. And he said he never realized how happy they seemed to be during those ritual moments mm. and how it seemed to carry both of them in a mood when things started going wrong. Yeah. And, and that's so important. It's, whatever the ritual is doesn't matter as long as it's something that you both can count on. And, and you go, wow, the fact that she calls me every day at noon to just say, how's your day going? Or, or I get a neck rub when I first come home. 
those are such vital rituals to making a marriage happy and pleasant. It doesn't have to be big. doesn't have to cost even a penny, Matt. Love it. I really do. I totally agree with that. And rituals create predictability, and there's nothing more critical in a high-trust, long-term relationship than being able to predictably count on the fact that your partner will be there. It's uh, it's powerful stuff. Russell Irving, so appreciate you joining us. Now, you, um, if people want more information about you, they go to your website, right? And that's yeah. that's www.dontoverlooktheobvious.com. With and, no apostrophe and don't, by the way, to those who yep, aren't sure. D-O-N-T, overlooktheobvious.com. They can also, if they want a fairly big chunk of the book, an excerpt of the book, Don't Overlook the Obvious, or Improve Your Marriage, Don't Overlook the Obvious, they can email you at russ at com, and you'll send them out that uh, excerpt, right? Absolutely, and I'd be happy to. Good stuff. Russell Irving, so appreciate you, uh, and appreciate your, your wisdom and your wise, uh, abbreviated uh, information. I, I love that. I think that's going to be so helpful to everybody. So, Everybody, take care of your family, take care of your partner, listen to Russell's great advice, and go start setting some rituals up and taking care of each other um, in a very simple way. It really is fairly simple out there. We're going to take a break now. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Today's Matt Townsend episode. We're refreshing ourselves on some marriage advice today with an interview with Dr. Russell Irving. I like how he reminded us in this last segment that marriage isn't a 50 50 agreement, it's a 100 100 commitment. Each partner is expected to work together and use all of their strengths and talents to progress in a marriage. So your partner may be flipping through their phone instead of spending time with you. They need to realize that the message they are sending is that their technology is more entertaining than you. But maybe you could also ask yourself, am I being the kind of person others enjoy spending time with or have I let some of my positive habits slip? Do I do what it takes to be intimate with my partner and show them I can love them more than a Facebook profile can? Yikes. Kind of an unsettling thought. Well, I think that that was some helpful marriage advice in a nutshell, and I want to finish off today's episode with another expert's take on helpful marriage tips. So we're going to listen to part of an interview with Heather Johnson, where she gives us a few brief bullet points on how we can be best friends with our spouses and keep our marriages strong. So Heather's here today, though, not talking families, but talking about (laughs) marriage, which eventually could bring a family. Absolutely. Well, and Best Friends Day. Yes. Who better to be best friends with than your spouse? Don't you think? Abs- well, I know. The research Absolutely. shows that, right? <clears throat> it does show the that. The better the friendship, the better the marriage. Right. So we're going to do lots of things today. Some you've heard. We're going to do some research behind it so you understand what you can do. Okay. Hit us, Heather. What, what, are, some of the, what are some of the rules, the tools? The, what's, the, what's the key to, to keeping the marriage on track? To keep us strong, right? So let's do one that we hear sometimes, maybe not always. But the first one I'm going to throw out there is we have to put our kids to bed on time. Hallelujah. Now, yes. here's what's funny. 
oftentimes couples will come to me and they'll say, oh my gosh, we don't have time for each other. How can we strengthen our marriage when we don't have any time? And when I give them this suggestion, they scoff at me usually and then yeah. look at me like, what in the world does our kid's bedtime have to do with my husband and I yeah. becoming a stronger married couple? Well, if you will put your kids to bed on time, it guarantees you time with your spouse every single day. If it, Now, here's a key too. You got to put them to bed in their bed. Right. Absolutely. Right, right. In their bed, not at 11 at night. We're yeah. talking an early bedtime, which is needed for them, right? So Get them in early. The problem is we think about bedtime and we think, oh, it's so much work and I don't want to put in that work and find another half hour or fine. I don't want the you know hassle and the crying and the whining. But if you will set a standard bedtime that's appropriate for your children, then it guarantees that they're in bed on time and you have probably at least two plus hours every single mm. day with your spouse. So really you're doing the bedtime for the kids to create space and time for you as a couple. That's exactly right. And I do it for them, but I'll tell you, I also selfishly do it for our marriage too. Yeah. And so I know regardless of how busy it's been, regardless of what's on our plate, my husband and I, we usually get about three hours every night just Man, when do you put your kids us. to bed? Like five? No, they go. Well, we still have some small kids. So by yeah. 730, yeah. everyone's in bed and the bigger kids are always in bed by nine. And so it gives us a good solid oh, couple so hours. Great. So if you want to look at a place where you can immediately start to find time for one another, right? Because we think, well, I want time together, but what do I weed out? I need this still. I have to work. I have to exercise. I've got to this. Start right there. Right. Get your kids to bed on time and make time for your spouse every single night. So and that's our first one. They'll learn to do it. And what's amazing, too, is they would also get in this habit. Right. And so you can put forth the effort just like anything with parenting and with right. families. You can put forth that effort up front and get it taken care of and done. Or you can go all night long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can suffer for a really long time. But it seems like if you if you put them to bed, then it, you, you have to then – make it a priority to be together because it would be easy for both of you to go your separate ways. Sure. Facebook, video games, Netflix, whatever. Lots of different things, right? And we'll talk about the best types of activities to choose in a little bit, but it's really important that you somehow carve out space. And so start there. Start right there. Decide to make a commitment to do it. Super basic. Yeah. Another thing, and I I look at these two as really ways that we can kind of affair-proof our marriage too. If you're doing these things constantly, and and conscientiously, it really does put you in a really safe place where affairs are not going to be part of your relationship. Yeah. And it helps to affair-proof your marriage because you're spending right. this time together and doing these things. So another one is it's time to reset our standard of beauty when it comes to our spouse. If we want to be best friends with them, if we want to have a stronger marriage, we have to make a decision that whatever our spouse looks like is the hottest, <laughs> best-looking thing there Hot can hit. be. It's exactly yeah. right. So my husband is 6'4", and I'm here to tell you that 6'4 is the best it is the for best. a man. It's such it a is. great height. He has brown hair, and brown hair is the best. He <laughs> sneezes really loud. And you know what? Unless you sneeze yeah. loud, you are not hot. You're not you're not you're not even, not even half hot. You're you're not. You yeah. it, it's it's a characteristic for him that makes him so attractive and so fantastic to me. If we're not in a mental mindset where we have decided to reset our standard of beauty so that our spouse is the best in all of those ways, we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Aren't we being Delusional though, like so. Let's say your husband had a little pooch, sure, or a big pooch, but it's the coolest pooch ever. Like, and you're like, oh, I love a pooch. Um, but what? What if? What if you don't? Because I have clients that they just don't, right? And the problem is, and then it, all of a sudden, it's like they're so they're looking at everyone else's 
right. pooch and comparing, and comparing. Right. Don't compare pooches is we, what you're saying. It's exactly right. Don't compare anything. In fact, if you're going to compare, you have to do it the other way. Everyone has to be compared to my husband, not my husband to those people. Mm. And so I have to take a step back and say, wait a second. You are not – your hair is not nearly – you're not this. Your pooch is not nearly as great as You have to his. find the negative. Right. You have to go the other direction. If comparison yeah. is your – you know, Achilles heel, right. then you've got to compare everyone to your spouse instead of your spouse to everyone else. There's also this place where, let's all face it, none of us are perfect physically any other way. Right. So let me tell you, I sure am really glad that he accepts where I falter to. Yeah. And so he finds whatever I've got as his as his most attractive. Because at some point you were attracted, right? So Absolutely. if you're no longer attracted, then something's changed. Right. And people always say, well, I've fallen out of love. But you've probably fallen out of a lot of things, right. like thinking about them positively right. and looking for ways to, to find the love. Right. And so we start to choose. We start to choose to look at all the other things yeah. instead of our spouse. That's so cool. we have to reset that standard. That's our responsibility. It's a, it's a decision we make. It's a decision to still find our spouse attractive and beautiful and to stop comparing the wrong direction. Yeah. And we have to do that if we want a strong marriage. We have to it's, reset that. It's funny, um, but like if our spouse isn't, if they're not taking care of themselves, what do we do? Well, this is different. Now we're talking about a health issue, yeah. right? We're not talking about the fact that my neighbor is hotter than you. That's, right. that's a totally right. different issue. Or that, you know, I'm lusting after someone, you know, who lives down the street or who I see on television or I'm fantasizing. That's a different issue than, you know, sweetheart, I want you to be here till you're 100. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really hard for you to play with the kids and be involved and you don't feel good and it's affecting your heart. Let's take care of it. That's important. It's very different. So our mental mindset when it comes to that, it's really resetting that. And and those are even extra, you know, situations. But really, if we're not careful, we just need to make sure that we're putting our spouse first in all areas, including being Mm -hmm. attracted to them. Right. Is it, it, it seems so easy for us as a partnership to, to maybe look away and compare and look at other people, never even mentioning it to our spouse, but looking, th- that's a sign of something, right? So if if you're shopping right. and yeah. comparing and, and finding yourself seeing your partner less attractive, what what do I do? How do I stop doing it? Well, really, you're going to tell yourself to stop. Which is rate a great, it. right a great cognitive behavior therapy where you literally say in your mind, "Stop, stop," and you start to recognize that you are doing those things. Mm-hmm. Once you recognize it, really yell at yourself to knock it off and take a step back and decide: Is this a rational thought? Well, no, it's this isn't a rational thought, and replace it with a thought that is rational. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we're finding our, ourselves comparing. We're finding ourselves thinking, "Man." That guy over there, or I wish this, or mm-hmm. well, that's that's not rational. I'm not married to that man. Right. He's not my best friend. That's not your life. He, that is not my life, and that is not the situation I'm in, and that is not the type of forward-thinking marriage or affair, or that's not what I want my future. This is my future. Mm-hmm. And so once we recognize it's a, it's an irrational thought, replace it with a rational thought and move forward. And make it better. That, that way you're leading your life, right? right? You're not living in la-la land. Right. But be very clear. Stop yourself. Yeah. We, we do it. I mean, it, when we're looking at behavior therapy, it's it's something we have to do all the time when we find ourselves thinking irrationally. That's an irrational thought. When I start to fantasize or think that direction towards mm-hmm. someone else, stop it. Stop it. And fill it with something that's rational. I like that. Right? That's very good. What's <laughs> number three? So another one. Let's do... Uh, Research shows us that entropy, we know what entropy is, right? Yeah. The steady disintegration of anything that's not taken care of, right? right, our, right. Like we were talking about our bodies, 
they go to pot if we don't take care of them. Oh, yeah. Our cars, if we're not constantly maintaining, keeping their oil. Our homes, in our yard, our yard. Oh, goodness. Oh. Just like that, right? right? You don't mow for two weeks and, you know, we now Jungle need a fever. tractor. That's right. exactly right. And so it's the exact same way with our marriages. Entropy will naturally set in and it doesn't take a month. It happens instantly if we're not continuously putting forth energy and effort into our marriage. One of the best ways, in fact, William Doherty, a family researcher, He has shown that one of the best ways to avoid marital entropy, so our marriage is disintegrating, is talking 15 minutes every day. What? Now, here's the thing. That is such a small number. We will all waste. We've already wasted. It's what? 930, 830 in the morning here in Utah. We've wasted 15 minutes somewhere. Oh, yeah. Or we could have found it. So by the end of the day, there is 15 minutes we can put towards our spouse. He says that 15 minutes of talking daily is the surest antidote to marital entropy. Find it. Do whatever you have to do. Mm -hmm. This is not yelling at one another. This is not pointing out what you don't like about one another. This is not worrying about bills. This is really communicating. If you will do that, it saves, starts to save your marriage. On the assessments I use when I'm bringing people and they're filling out the assessment to come talk to me, one of the questions asks how many hours a week they they talk to each other. Uh And it's, I think it's a little delusional because it's like 10 hours, you know, not eight to 10 hours is really healthy. Right. Which I don't know that they're really doing eight to 10 hours. Right. Because <laughs> they're in your office. Yeah. But anytime I see uh, like zero to three hours. Right. Trouble. There's major trouble. Always. Every single time. There, there's, there's trouble. N- there's no other way to be a strong married couple if you're not. Right. Talking to one another yeah. and, and touching base and communicating. Right. And so we're not, you know, sitting here and Doherty's not telling us this monument. He didn't say four hours yeah, a day. He, he didn't. didn't even say one. 15 minutes of talking daily. And that's so easy just if you're having dinner. Absolutely. How was your day? Right. And he gives us some great ways to do it, things that we hear from the research all over, where one, carve time out from something else. Mm -hmm. And he also suggests making better use of our time, right? Which is what you're talking about here. We have to put food in our bodies to live. Right. Do it at the same time in the same place. Mm. Find a way to eat together. You know, we get up in the morning, usually at about the same, find a way to sit around with your coffee for 15, whatever it might be at the same time. Yeah. So really simple, really straightforward. I love that. I love that. Stephen Covey used to get on his trail bike, like anytime he and his wife had a serious discussion, Uh they'd hop on a little tiny trail bike, like a trail 70 or something. And she'd sit on the back and they'd just drive around the neighborhood. Until they worked it out. Until they worked it out. And to me, that would be really cool because eye to eye when you're, when it's intense, it's no it's, good. <laughs> yeah. So if I could be like distracted a little bit by driving, because I can multi, not multitask, but I can communicate better by being stimulated too. So it's, you just got to find your way to make the time. Right. And every time she just say, honey, you got to get home. We, we need a trail ride. We need to go for a ride. And all that meant, sometimes it just meant she needed to vent. Uh-huh. And it wasn't even about him. These kids. Time cool. together. Right. Yeah. And so. And <clears throat> I know you love motorcycles. I love <laughs> I do. Newfound love, (laughs) which is one of our points, right? To love what your spouse loves if you want to strengthen your marriage. But if we talk about this trail bike riding, there's actually, again, a body of research that suggests that talking and walking for the exact same reasons you just mentioned is very powerful. If I need to talk to my husband about something, walking is the best place to do it. Because like you said, if I say to him, can we talk? He looks at me like, what? what?" (laughs) Because it becomes like men men don't usually see talking as a goal. Right. It's just something you do. It's a it, well, you have to. It's a secondary to, right? of things. And so if the goal is let's go on a walk, 
then talking is palatable. It can, it's exactly right. And yeah. plus, like you said, we're not sitting eye to eye, right? Yeah. When we have to sit on a couch two feet from each other or two inches and, you know, you don't know yeah. where to look. Do I look at you in the eyes? Do it's I look intense. down? If I look away, it, it, nothing. Why did you good. roll your eyes? <laughs> I, no. I didn't. So true. In fact, I had a couple not too long ago. They had a major discussion over rolling eyes. And just as a funny side note, he said, I don't roll my eyes. It's just a very long blink. It's a long blink. It's a long blink. And she said, well, your long blink is killing our marriage. <laughs> you long blink kill me. That's crazy. But when we That's talk crazy. and walk, we also have this very uh, – we have a, a self con- or a subconscious similar goal, right? We're going in the same direction. We're headed the same way. So it tells our brains that whatever it is we're discussing, we can solve yeah, because we'll we're, we're in this, right? We're yeah. going the same way. We don't have to look at one another. It just takes all the stress out. It also has a really handy timer on it, it because does. it's got to stop. And plus, there's not probably going to be yelling and screaming in your neighborhood, right? right. Down your street. So if things do get yeah. tricky or heated, yeah. you're not going to freak out. Walk right in a public pub. place. It's exactly right. The mall. Go once to the you mall. Trust, once you have really high trust, <laughs> then you can walk in the backwoods. Right. In, in a less public place. You know, it's really interesting listening to these episodes now that I'm married. I've listened to a lot of Matt Townsend episodes before, but hearing the marriage advice now applies to me on a whole new level and in a whole different way. And it makes me realize how fragile, yet how powerful, a marriage bond is and how important it is to learn and implement marriage advice. I love how Matt said that, If you think you've fallen out of love, it probably means you've actually fallen out of a lot of other things, like thinking positively. Loving and falling out of love are choices. Just as seeing your spouse as the most attractive person on the planet or comparing them to others is. I really like that concept of love as a choice. There are a million things throughout your life that can come between you and your spouse. Disagreements, kids busy schedules, comparison. But there are ways to strengthen the foundation and the walls of your marriage to not let those little things penetrate. And like the experts we heard today said, maybe it's not something really complicated we have to do or buy to strengthen the walls of our marriage. Maybe the ingredients are very simple, like talking with your spouse for 15 minutes every day, giving them a neck massage when they get home, or choosing to see them as beautiful. Well, thanks for listening to today's episode, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.